0: Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Before we continue, I'd like to bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity to come together this morning to worship you singing songs. Now we get to turn to your word and just see what you have done for us. The future that we have because of your work upon the cross, but that work does not stop in the past, Lord. We're going to see that this morning, and I just pray that you prepare our hearts for your message this morning. I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, by far, one of my most favorite movie trilogies of all time, hands down, Back to the Future. (laughs) Anybody here seen Back to the Future? Yeah. Made the DeLorean popular. Actually, it was crazy the, the DeLorean at this time wasn't as popular as it was after the movie had come out. But for those of you that maybe haven't seen the adventures of Doc and Marty, I'm going to refresh some of your memories and enlighten some of you for the first time. See, in Back to the Future, the trilogy goes a little something like this. The main character is Marty McFly, and he travels in a time machine invented by Doc Brown. He travels in the past to solidify the present. See, he had to go back into the past to make the present moment right again. And then eventually, in the second, back to the future, he goes into the future to prevent a traumatic family event. And then he goes back into the distant past and back to the future three to basically seal the fate of one of the characters, which is known as Doc Brown, because a tragedy happened. See, all of this relies on their past, present, and future actions within this movie. Without the past, without the present, and without the future, Back to the Future as a trilogy does not exist. It would be non existent. Church, we can relate to this. Seriously, you came here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I'm at church and I got to relate what the Lord has done for me with Doc and Marty. Man, that's heavy. You guys remember that line from the movie, That's Heavy Doc? As a past action, our present reality is what it is today as believers. A past action in our present reality has given us hope for a future event that is yet to come. Though we may not be able to relate to time travel ourselves, personally, even though the time travel that you see in Back to the Future, even though it is futuristic. It's, you know, a made-up story. It's make-believe. Time travel doesn't really happen with us, but we do know the one who has traveled through time, don't we? Think about that. Have you ever pondered Jesus? Have you ever pondered him and his ability to defy both time and space? Are you grateful for his work? By leaving heaven, coming to earth, and doing what he did for us upon the cross? And are you ready this morning to reflect upon just that? And this brings us to the title of our sermon this morning. The title for our sermon is this The Past, Present, and Future. The Past, Present, and Future. See, today we're going to be in a multitude of texts, not a lot, but the text that we're going to be in this morning will be John 13, Revelation 19, and 1 Corinthians 11. See, we're going to be encouraged by Christ and His work in the past. We're going to be encouraged by His work in the present. He's not done. And we're going to be extremely encouraged by His future work that is yet to come and what it means what it means for our salvation. See, church, today we're going to dig into the meaning behind communion. So allow me to give you a warning right here, right now, and I want to be as clear as possible. If you are not saved, if you have not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, do not partake in communion this morning. But if you know that you're saved, and you understand what His past action has done what his present actions are doing and what his future promise is for us and you have faith in that then by all means partake with us this morning so with all this being said we're going to do things a little bit differently than what we normally do we're going to give you the main idea for today's sermon up front and the main idea for today is this our salvation through jesus is achieved by past present and future events Our salvation through Jesus is achieved by past, present, and future events. Now, anybody know who this is? The 22nd and 24th President of the United States? Grover Cleveland. Thank you. Grover Cleveland. He was a bachelor when he ran for office in 1884. However... He managed to father a child with a lady named Maria Crofts Halpin. And since his child was born out of wedlock, his political opponents attempted to capitalize on his decision that he made with Maria. Does that sound like something politicians would do today? I mean, seriously, like there's nothing new underneath the sun, right? We think this world is like worse than what it was, but it's always been bad. See, they attempted to peg him as being immoral. In fact, they even handed out printed materials. This is going to blow your mind, because you would think that we would only do it today in the 21st century, but no, they even handed out materials, and, and it's crazy. They, they handed out stuff that said, said this, with a picture of a little infant, a button that you could get and wear. It said, that's one more vote for Cleveland taking his son born out of wedlock and yet using it against him. They even had paraders chant this phrase, Ma, ma, where's pa? Gone to the White House. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Unfortunately for his political rivals, it didn't work. You know why? See, we can learn something from this. In fact, I think we can find a little bit of all of us in what's going on right here. Now, some of you have had children out of wedlock. Some of you have done this or done that, and you know some of us think that one sin's worse than the other, or it's not as bad as this one, but sin is sin is sin. All sin is the same. But the reason why it didn't work against Cleveland is because I think he understood a little something about that. Not saying that he was saved or a believer. I have no idea. But what he did was he got out in front of the story and just admitted what he did. He said, yes, that is my child that I had out of wedlock. So what can you do to me now, political rivals? They could do absolutely nothing. And the end result was Cleveland was elected president. Church, this is us as Christians. Think about that. We are called to continually confess our sins. Now, we shouldn't wait all the time until somebody else finds out what we have done. Sometimes we need to get out in front of it of ourselves and confess our sins to Jesus. See, when we continually confess our sins, that's when Jesus continues To cleanse us. And we see this in two particular texts this morning in John 13 and 1 John 1 9. The verses will be on your screen. If you want to follow along in your Bible, no problem. There is one in the seat in front of you. But first, we're going to take a look at John chapter 13, verses 12 through 7. And then also, you notice there's going to be 1 John 1 9. So let's take a look at John 13, verses 12 through 17. When he had washed their feet and put his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a master greater than his, the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Amen. For the most part, scholars look at John 13 two different ways. You can look at it as being a teaching on servanthood, or you can look at it as being a teaching on cleansing, being cleansed. First, let's address servanthood. Do you notice how Jesus begins in verse 14? Take a look at verse 14. You notice how He begins? He says, If I then, our Lord and Teacher, He's saying as the one who has been teaching you for this amount of time, He's saying as the one who is not only teaching you, but the one who is leading you, He's saying I have washed your feet The king of the universe has lowered himself to such a menial task. Do you know what that mentality and that attitude contradicts? It contradicts the church attitude that says the pastor gets the privileged parking spot by the front door. I've been to churches rolling up in parking lots and it will say reserved for pastor so-and-so. Some pastors think they deserve to park there. Jesus has given us an example of a servant leader or a leader servant, and this example is reciprocal. It goes both ways, which is why he says this He says, You also ought to wash one another's feet, which is why he goes on to say, For I have given you an example that you should do. Do you know what servanthood aids in spreading? Not a communicable disease. It aids in the spread of the Gospel. Which is precisely the example given by Jesus in verse 16 where He says, Nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent Him. When we serve others, we are messengers of the good news of salvation, a.k.a. the Gospel, which is defined as the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Milton Vincent's words, not my own, from the book of Gospel Primer. So what are some ways in which you can be a messenger in your life through servanthood? That's the question I'm asking myself when I read this text. What are some ways in which I can serve others? One would be to pray for others. We can pray for others. Here's another one that's difficult for me. Some of you are really good at this, and I appreciate that when I see it in you. But we can simply listen to others. And if you're able to, park out in left field. If you don't need to park next to the front door, don't park next to the front door. See, church, the list of ways that we can serve is endless. It is endless. Basically, think about others... Before thinking about yourself. Because if you do, what does it say here? If we do that one simple task, it says that we will be blessed. In verse 17, Jesus says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, to be blessed is to really find joy in your current situation, no matter your circumstance. That's being blessed. We get it wrong. We get it twisted. We think blessings are blessings that aren't blessings. Sometimes we consider something a blessing that's really ultimately a detriment to us. Do you remember our example in Grover Cleveland from the beginning? I would hope you would. His confession is an example of our second perspective on foot washing. Let's take a look at verses from 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, this is the continual confession of sin. And when we continually confess our sin, this is really the mark of someone who is genuinely saved. By Jesus washing his disciples' feet, he is giving the example that his sacrifice for us will continue, as it says right here, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Church, the keys to unlocking freedom is confession. That's how Grover Cleveland won the election in 1884 because he confessed his sin. We need to recognize our need to be cleansed. If you're sitting here this morning and you don't think that you need to be cleansed, you got another thing coming. We need to recognize our need to not only be cleansed, but our need to be forgiven. As you saw Jim and Pastor Steve hug at the end, that is an example of Forgiveness. And we need to understand that we need to be forgiven each and every day. Therefore, if we need to be forgiven, we need to forgive others also. And we have to always remember our need to be given first. And that brings us to our first point this morning. Jesus is the servant leader who continues to forgive and cleanse us from sin. Jesus is the servant leader who continues to forgive and cleanse us from sin. And before we move on, this is true. This is truth. This is God's Word. And this is the reason why the rest of the world looks at us and says, hypocrites, hypocritical behavior out of you. I say, when I come to church on Sunday morning, I'm hanging out with my hypocritical friends. Welcome to the club. We continually need to be forgiven. It's not one and done. See, in our culture today, the bride is the focal point of a wedding. You know, here comes the bride, all dressed in white, everybody stands up and looks and watches as she goes to the end of the aisle to meet her groom, and in most cases, but not all, her father gives her away or a significant other in her life gives her away to be married to the bride groom or the groom that we call them in our culture speaking of brides do you want to know how my wife scares the life out of me whenever she wants to in the evening i mean seriously it's it's really easy for her to do this at the end of any given day the only thing she has to say is you didn't remember what today was did you And that one gets me every time. Mentally, I'm thinking, no, 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 not, not again. I'm telling you, there's a reason why brides are the focal point, though. However, when the church marries Jesus, we'll be the focal point. No, we won't. See, the church is the bride of Christ, but when we marry him, we are not the focal point. He is the focal point of the wedding, just like the Jewish culture of his day when he was here on earth. The bridegroom was the one that everybody focused on. So think about all of those who will be invited to the wedding. See, we're talking about our wedding with Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. We're talking about our future wedding with him. So think about all the guests that are going to be invited. Because you know, when you get invited to a wedding, that means that you are significant or you're highly thought of in that couple's life. It means that you're special to either the bride or the groom. I mean, after all, they're paying for you to be there, aren't they? So for that one day when the church will become the bride of Christ and those who were saved prior to the beginning of the church, those are the ones who are the invited guests. And those saved during the seven-year tribulation period will be the guests. They will be invited guests to the marriage supper of the Lamb. All because, all because Jesus paid the price. For the faithful to be there. And Jesus paid the price for his bride to be there too. That's us. And we see a glimpse of this in Revelation. So we're going to be right here in Revelation 19. Verses 5 through 9. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants. You who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was great or it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of those saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Amen's right. Look at verse 5. See, verse 5 reveals a very significant truth to us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you came from, what you have or what you have not accomplished in life. None of that matters. What matters is everyone, it says, everyone is called to do what? In verse 5. Praise God. Especially those who have been invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So as a representation this morning, we're going to partake in the marriage supper of the Lamb as it is passed out. So the elders are going to come forward and pass out a representation of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And let's pause as we have this passed out and we partake in the marriage supper Let's pause and give God praise for being the church. Let's pray for this food. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being your bride. We thank you for the faithful that have gone before us and that will come after us, that will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. We thank you for this meal. In your name, amen. See, we are his bride. He is the bridegroom. He is the focal point. Now imagine what it will sound like at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The roar of many waters, it says. It will sound like the mighty peals of thunder. When this future event takes place, the great multitude will say, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Do you know why? Think about that. Do you know why? Because God's kingdom has finally come. His kingdom has finally come. That's why we say hallelujah. It marks the end of this world's evil system. Church, I am talking to you right now. I'm talking to myself. I'm asking myself, I'm asking you, do you know pain? Do you know suffering? Have you ever questioned God in the midst of your pain? Have you ever questioned Him in the midst of your suffering? I know I have. But do you know why we question God in the midst of our pain and in the midst of our suffering? We question God because of this evil world. We need to give credit where credit is due. Think about that the next time you experience some pain. Think about that the next time you experience suffering in your life, the next time you want to question God. Now, when you look at verses 7 through 9, highlight the marriage of the Lamb. See, when we say give credit where credit is due, I prepared that meal. Wait, did I just say that out loud? I'm so sorry. I washed my hands first, I promise. See, pain and suffering comes from this evil world. doesn't come from God. And think about everything that we're talking about. The past, the present, and now the future. All the pain and suffering goes away. When this future event happens, God's kingdom is here, and it's gone. So let's highlight what happens here in the marriage of the Lamb. And for those of us here that are married, we know how important, yet how difficult marriage can be, don't we? I mean, does anybody in here who's married think marriage is easy? You may think it's easy at the beginning, but then you learn really quickly. I mean, I don't know how it works in your household. I really don't know. But in our house, my wife, Hope, always forgives me. She does, and I really appreciate that about her. But she always does it even when she's wrong. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I, I don't even know what to say half the time. It's really all good, though, and it works out to the best because we always compromise. I admit I'm wrong, and then she agrees with me. So we just go from there. But seriously, God chose to marry his bride when he chose to create the universe. Think about that. God didn't create and think, well, you know what? If it doesn't work out, I got plan B over here. No, he knew when he created the universe that sin was going to happen. He's still on his A game. He's still on plan A. Think about that. That is crazy. He knew by creating us, we were going to fall into sin, and he was still going to have to pierce time and space and come and save us and redeem us. And I'm blown away. I can't even fathom that he still followed through with his original plan, knowing all of that. Church, right now, we've discussed that we're the bride of Christ, but right now we're in the engagement stage. So it's like we're engaged to Jesus. We're awaiting our wedding day. Do you see where it says right there? His bride has made herself ready. We're not making ourselves ready. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that we're making us ready. He is making us ready for Him. And when that day comes, we will celebrate the wedding feast for a thousand years. A thousand years. See, in Jesus, in His day, they would celebrate a wedding for seven days. How long do we celebrate a wedding for? A few hours? A thousand years. See, to me, that makes all the pain, it makes all the suffering, it makes all the questioning seem menial, doesn't it? This life is too short. It's like a, fa- a few years for a thousand. It's like a few years for a thousand that turn into eternity. See, there are three main things that need witnesses in life. One are crimes. Two are accidents, and three are marriages. So who are the blessed are those who inv- are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb? Who are going to be the guests? We touched on that briefly, but these witnesses are all of those who died with faith prior to the beginning of the church in Pentecost that you see in the book, book of Acts. And it's those who are saved in the seven-year tribulation period, church, this future event reveals to us that life is so short. So short. So as you have consumed your representation of the marriage supper, be encouraged in your future as the bride of Christ. Be encouraged that there's no more pain. Be encouraged that there's no more suffering. Be encouraged that there will be no more questioning God as to, why, Lord? See, did I... Make it clear that we're not the focal point of the marriage supper. Are we clear on that? So then why are we making ourselves the focal point now? All about me when we do things like that. All of this has to do with him and what he has done for us. He is the one that has delivered us. And more importantly than everything, when this happens, there will be no more evil world system you know why? Because of what the text says right here. Because it says, The Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. I don't know about you, but I'm good at making myself the focal point, and you don't want me reigning over anything. Trust me. Hope barely allows me to clean the toilets at home. We need to think about that. And this brings us to the second point. We are the bride of Christ who is being readied for the day that evil will no longer rule. We are the bride of Christ who is being readied for the day that evil will no longer rule. Unfortunately, right now, it's just the way it is. We operate in a world where evil rules, but that will not be forever. And let's not forget our main idea this morning is this. Our salvation through Jesus is achieved by past, present, and future events. At this time, our ushers or our elders will dismiss you by rows to come up to partake in the bread and the cup. And as you come up, receive the cup and receive the bread, return to your seat and we will partake together. But as we reflect upon what we're seeing here in the text this morning, usually we we stay within a few verses through books of the Bible, but what we're seeing this morning is a biblical theology of how communion plays out. We've discussed the present. We've discussed the fact that we have a need to be cleansed of our sins, to admit our sinfulness so Jesus can continue to cleanse us. We've been encouraged to know that we live in a world that is controlled by evil, but yet this day is coming where we will be the bride of Christ at the marriage supper and evil will be no more, no more pain, no more suffering. In fact, in Revelation it says Jesus will wipe the final tear or the last tear. There will be no more. And now as you get to receive the bread and the cup and as we partake, what we get to recognize is the past action. And we see that right here. We see this illustration on your screen of the past action of what Jesus has done. And the past action of Jesus that you are going to be looking at on your screen right now it has everything to do with His death, with His burial, and with His resurrection. See, that's the bread in the cup. The foot washing represented our servanthood. It represented the cleansing of sin. The marriage supper represents the future event that's going to take place. But the bread in the cup represents the past action of Jesus in His death, Jesus in His burial, and Jesus in His resurrection. And without that taking place... The future event doesn't happen. Without that taking place, the present doesn't happen. We don't have an opportunity to be cleansed from our sins. So as you continue to come forward and receive the bread and the cup, reflect upon that truth. Don't just think of what Jesus has done as a past event. What Jesus has done represents the present and it represents our future. Church, this is the good news of salvation, which is why we don't want to do this without remembrance of Him. And that's the reason why we say in remembrance of Him. In His past action, which solidified our salvation, He died, He was buried, and He raised from the dead. Our remembrance of Him is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 26. As for the bread, verses 23 and 24. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you; do for you do this in remembrance of me." The bread the body of Jesus. As for the cup, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of Jesus. Jesus and his past action, his present cleansing us from our sins, and the future marriage supper brings us to our final point this morning, and that point is this: The bread and the cup represent the past actions of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. The bread and the cup represent the past actions of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And let us also be reminded of our first point this morning. Jesus is the servant leader who continues to forgive and cleanse us from sin. Amen? I don't know about you, but I need him more and more each and every day. Also, our second point today was this. We are the bride of Christ who is being readied for the day that evil will no longer rule. We are the bride of Christ who is being ready for the day evil will no longer rule. And our main point this morning, our salvation through Jesus is achieved by past, present, and future events. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your work upon the cross, Lord. We are so thankful that it didn't just stop there. We're thankful for your work in our lives currently and the hope that we have in the future because of you, not because of us and anything that we could ever do. Help us to deliver that message of hope to others. As we continue to pray for you to open doors and prepare hearts for your message, use us to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus. And we pray all of this in His name, as the church says together collectively. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.